Thank you for that prayer, John. I appreciate it this morning. Well, before I begin my message this week, I just want to share with you again, as I did last Sunday morning, um, how important it is um, in the upcoming election that we vote no, no on Proposal 3, the supposed reproductive freedom for all proposal. Um, as I shared with you last week, I think this is one of the most dangerous proposals that we've seen in the state of Michigan in a long time. It is extreme, it is confusing, and we are encouraging everyone to vote no. You will see in your bulletins that we have dedicated a page to it, and there is a place at the bottom where you can find out more information. This is a biblical issue. As I mentioned last week, it's not just a political issue, it's a biblical issue. And so we are encouraging you to make sure that you get out and vote and to encourage all those you know to vote no on this proposal. We rarely do something like this. And that's how strongly we feel about this particular proposal. Well, this morning, as we study the Word of God together, our main focus, it is the center of everything we do, whether it is in Sunday school or evening Bible studies or from the pulpit on Sunday morning or on Sunday night, our focus is the Word of God and teaching it as clearly as we know how and asking God to help us to obey it in every in any way that we possibly can. If you're visiting with us this morning, we have for the last two years been studying through the Gospel of John, the fourth of the four Gospels. And this morning we come to chapter 20, we come to the resurrection of Jesus. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the burial of Jesus. We saw that Joseph of Arimathea, after Jesus was crucified, went to Pontius Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and they took it down from the cross. And he, along with Nicodemus, prepared the body for burial. And in John chapter 19, in verse 40, well, in, actually in verse 39, it says that when Nicodemus came, and I want you to note this this morning, he brought 75 pounds of spices to anoint the body and wrap the body. And in verse 40, it says, So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. He was laid in a new tomb. It was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, who had given the tomb for Jesus' burial. And as we came to the end of last week, I shared with you that we know Jesus rises from the dead. Even people who have never been in a church in their life know that Christians believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus rose from the dead. But at this time, they did not know that. His disciples, the women who followed him, the brave women whom we saw at the foot of the cross, the courageous women, they didn't know that he was going to rise from the dead. So as I ended last week, I said this is a great historical and theological pause. 
Jesus, for three years, had ministered among the people. Great, large crowds followed him. And now he's dead. Now he's buried. And that brings us to chapter 20 in the first 10 verses. And this is what we read. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but fold up, folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Well, our first point this morning is the empty tomb. The last two chapters of the Gospel of John, the last two chapters of the Gospel of John describe the resurrection of Jesus and his post-resurrection appearances. I don't know if you've thought about that before, but the whole last two chapters of the Gospel of John are about the resurrection. I was talking with Pastor Mike about the music for today, and I said, you know, Mike, don't use up all the resurrection songs. We got two more chapters to go. We're going to need them. And we have some of the most fascinating, not only post-resurrection appearances, but post-resurrection conversations of Jesus that we have in the entire Bible. Today we're going to look at the empty tomb. In the weeks to come, we're going to see that Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. We're going to see that Jesus suddenly appears to his disciples in a room where the doors are locked, just appears, suddenly appears and says, peace be with you. Now he appears to 10 of the 12 apostles because Judas is dead by now, committed suicide. And Thomas isn't there. For whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there. So then we're going to look at Jesus' famous encounter with Thomas, who at first did not believe. Then in chapter 21, Jesus appears to seven of his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and has his famous encounter with Peter, which takes up almost all of chapter 21. But today, the empty tomb. When Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb of Jesus on the first day of the week, she finds that the stone has been rolled away and the body of Jesus is gone. Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. 
Now, if we put all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together, we see that there were actually at least four women, there may have been more, who come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. They're concerned with how they're going to roll the stone away. It was a heavy stone. And they get there, and Mary sees that the stone has already been rolled away. Verse 2, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, Mary Magdalene is very emotional at this point. And I don't say that simply because she's a woman, because we're going to see that Peter and John are very emotional at this point. This was a very emotional time. It was. I want you to think what these women and the disciples have been through. The disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane. They fled from Jesus. They all saw that Jesus was mocked and severely whipped and beaten and then crucified and then died. This is a very emotional time. And so now she comes running and she says, She goes to Peter and John, and the reason she goes to Peter and John most likely is because they were two of the head apostles, two of the head disciples. Remember, Jesus' inner circle was Peter, James, and John. And so she goes to two of them, knowing that they're lead disciples, and she tells them, man, the stone has been rolled away and they've taken Jesus. I don't know where they've taken his body to. I don't know where they've laid it. Now, First of all, the stone has been rolled away. How did the stone get rolled away? We don't even have to speculate about that. We know. Matthew chapter 28 and verses 1 and 2 says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled the stone and sat on it. So we know that an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. There was a great earthquake, and the angel rolls back the stone. But she says to them, the stone is rolled back, and the body is gone. Now, I'm going to say some things this morning that may be new for some of you, maybe not. But I want you to just stay with me. I want you to think through this with me. Why was the stone rolled away? I just want you to think about that this morning. Why was the stone rolled away? Here's the traditional kind of thought that we often see depicted in movies. The angel comes, rolls the stone away, Jesus rises from the dead and walks out of the tomb. I don't think that's how it happened. And I think it's very likely that's not how it happened. So stay with me here. The stone's, not a roll, the stone's not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. I think Jesus was already out. I do. I think Jesus rose from the dead and walked right through the tomb, walked right through that stone. As I mentioned, we're going to see in a few weeks that he just appears, he walks through walls, walks right into a room where the disciples are at and says, peace be with you. So I think he rose from the dead well before the stone was ever rolled away. So why was the stone rolled away? Two reasons. Two reasons. It was to declare to the whole world 
But the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive, and he has conquered sin and death. I think that angel came down, rolled that stone away, and said, Behold, to the whole world, he's not here, he's risen. The tomb is empty. The second reason I think the stone is rolled away is for you, for me, for Peter, for John, for the women, so that they could go in and we, through the eyes of Scripture, could go into the tomb and see that Jesus is not there. He's gone. He's gone. Mary Magdalene will then go back to the tomb with the other ladies, and they will see two men in bright appearance who say to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? They're two angels. Two angels appear to them and say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Some of the women will go into the tomb and there's going to be a guy there. It says in a white robe, it's another angel. And he says, don't be alarmed. Can you imagine going into the tomb and there's an angel? You're looking for Jesus? He says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. And then he says to them, see where they laid him. I want you to hold on to that. He says, see where they laid him. Well, that brings us to our second point this morning. But before we go to that second point again, I just want to say that again. I believe that Jesus had already risen before the stone was ever rolled away. That stone is for us. They rolled away the stone so that God could declare to the world that Jesus was alive and that he had conquered sin and death. And secondly, so that we could go into the tomb, so that Peter and John and the women could go into the tomb and see firsthand, firsthand witnesses that Jesus was not there. And so our second point is the grave close. When Peter and John come to the empty tomb, they find that the body of Jesus is gone. But his grave clothes are neatly placed and in perfect order. In verses 3 and 4, it says, So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reach the tomb first. Again, they're all really emotional right now. You think of what those apostles saw, those disciples saw. The garden, the beating, the crucifixion. And now Mary Magdalene, who was part of their group, who followed Jesus and ministered to Jesus, she said, Stone's been rolled away. Body's gone. I don't know where they took him. I don't know where they laid him. And so they're like, what's going on now? And they run. And John outruns Peter. And in verse 5, it says, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. I just want to point out, too, especially for those who may not have been with us through this study, it says that it was Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, or the other disciple. John is the author of this gospel. When he describes himself, 
he most often describes himself as the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I won't go into all of that because I did that before, but I just want you to know that it is Peter and it is John, just to make sure. And John comes to the tomb first, and he stoops to look in because the tombs had very low doorways. And so you had to stoop to look in. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Now, the phrase he saw means to examine from a distance. It's more of a cursory look. He saw... There was no body there, but the grave clothes were there. The linen cloths that Jesus had been buried in are there. Okay, then in verses 6 and 7, Peter, the ever-impetuous emotional one. Then Simon Peter, he's not going to stop and look in. It says, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So Peter gets there, goes into the tomb, and it says he saw the linen cloths. Now the word here used for he saw is different than the one used for John, where it says he saw. This is not a cursory observation. This is a very meticulous, close examination. Peter went into the tomb and he closely examines the linen cloths lying there. In fact, it is from this word that we get our, our word today to theorize or theory to come to a conclusion after a close examination. And he sees the clothes lying there. And the very structure of the sentence means that he saw the clothes lying there just like they had been on the body of Jesus. And, verse 7, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So here's the linen wrapping, the grave clothes of Jesus. Here, here's the head cloth by itself. Again, appears to be neatly folded up. Now, it might help us to understand that in a Jewish burial, it was not like an Egyptian burial. Again, sometimes we have this picture in our mind that when Jesus or Lazarus were buried, they were buried like mummies, like Egyptian mummies. But that was not the case. The body would have wrappings around it, and it would have spices in those wrappings to anoint and to somewhat preserve the body there for a short period of time. And then the head would be wrapped separately. And usually the face and neck were not covered. And that's important for us this morning. They were not covered. Let me give you one example. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, we have the story of the widow from Nain. There is a widow whose only son has died, and they have a funeral procession. He's in a casket. He's in a briar. And many people have come to support her, and they're walking along, and her son is dead, and she's weeping uncontrollably. And if you know the story at all, Jesus walks up to the casket, touches the casket, and tells the young man to rise from the dead. And the Bible says that he sits up 
and he begins to talk, and Jesus gives him back to his mother. The reason he was able to sit up and talk is because his face was not covered. And so it is here. But here's what I really want you to grasp. The grave clothes of Jesus are just like they were when he was buried by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Fascinating studying this this week. James Montgomery Boyce, John Stott, two of the great theologians from this past generation. And John MacArthur in his commentary all say exactly the same thing. They believe that as Jesus laid there in the tomb, he became alive, was transfigured into his resurrection body, and just passed through his clothes, or the grave clothes, the linen wrappings. He just passed through them, and the clothes just came down, just like they were on him. The body clothes and the head clothes were just like they were when they wrapped him in them. And he goes out of the tomb before the stone is even rolled away. And I think they're right. And I think that's what Peter sees, and I think that's what John sees. They are astounded. Those grave clothes are just like they were on Jesus. They're just now folded, compressed down to the wherever he was laying on that stone there. This is important because there are, there may be more than this, but two main theories, as I even shared with you last week, of those who deny the resurrection of Christ. The first is that they came and stole the body. In fact, if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that the Jewish ruling council paid the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, to lie and say that they had fallen asleep and that while they were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus out of the tomb. And that's why it wasn't there. And then Matthew tells us in his gospel that that spread, that circulated all throughout the Jewish community at that time. There are those who still hold to that theory today, liberal theologians who say they just came, someone came and stole the body of Jesus. Folks, if they came and stole the body of Jesus, they're just going to go in and get him out. He's still going to have his grave clothes on him. They're not going to be still lying there. The second major theory for those who deny the resurrection is that Jesus didn't actually die. He fainted, or he went into a temporary coma. Then at some point, he woke up, took his grave clothes off, and then when the stone was rolled away, he walked out. But he didn't actually die and rise from the dead. Now think about it, folks. That's why I read that one passage as I began this morning from chapter 19. Joseph of Arimathea brought 75 pounds of spices and wrapped Jesus in linen cloths. If he had unwrapped himself, there'd have been spices all over the place. 
the grave clothes would have just been strewn. I mean, they're, they're thinking, you know, I, he just ripped his clothes off or his grave clothes off and walked out. And that's not what happened at all. It's not what happened at all. He passed through those grave clothes. They were just as they had been. And he walked out because he was alive from the dead and passed right through that tomb. How important is this? Verse 8. This is a key verse in this whole section. How important is what I'm sharing with you? Verse 8. Verse 8. Then the other disciple, this is the Apostle John, who had at first just stopped and looked in. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. This time, when it says he saw, it's the same word used for Peter. Not a cursory observation, but a close examination. He looked at the grave clothes, and he believed. We're going to come back to that in just a minute, because that's crucial. But he saw those grave clothes, and he believed. He believed. And in verse 9, it says, For as yet they, Peter and John, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They still didn't fully understand those Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah had to rise from the dead. They will. They will shortly. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and they will see them more clearly. But as now, they don't. I say that. Because even not understanding the prophecies clearly, John still believes because of the grave clothes. Because of the way the grave clothes are laid in the tomb. Then it says in verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. So Peter and John go back to their homes, and we can't help but imagine a little bit. John goes back to his home, and there was a woman now living in his home that was being taken care of by John's family. Her name was Mary, the mother of Jesus. If you remember at the foot of the cross, Jesus says, to John, behold your mother. And to Mary, he says of John, behold your son. Can you imagine the conversations that John and Mary must have had as all of this is transpiring and going on? But I want to come back to John. When the Apostle John examined the grave clothes of Jesus, he believed that Jesus was alive. As I said, he didn't yet understand the Messianic prophecies. The Bible tells us that. He will. He will later. But he believed purely on the basis of what he saw in the empty tomb. He looked at the grave clothes, and he believed. Again, later, all of this will become so clear to him when the helper, the Holy Spirit, comes and illuminates his mind. But at this point, and this is so important this morning, at this point, the grave clothes were enough. So, there was enough evidence in the cloth that John also, although he was still fearful and still wondering, he believed. What did he believe? What does it mean when it says 
he believed. Every single biblical commentary was consistent with this. It means that he believed that Jesus rose from the dead, that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He believed it all. He saw the grave clothes of Jesus, and he believed it all. So I say this morning, what about you? What about me? You have the Old Testament. You have the New Testament. You have the testimony of the Holy Spirit through the apostles who wrote the New Testament. You have all kinds of resurrection evidence in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that there were 500 witnesses who saw him at one time, that he was alive. You have the testimony of the disciples who meet him in that closed room with the doors locked and he just appears among them. You have the testimony of the disciples who saw him and touched him and then saw him ascend into heaven. You have the testimony of the apostles who were martyred, who died for their faith because they believed with all their hearts that Jesus is alive. You have the testimony of the living church throughout church history, which has for over 2,000 years proclaimed with great conviction and without hesitation the resurrection of Christ. You have the experience of every truly born-again Christian who believes with all his or her heart that Jesus is alive. There may be no event in all of history, in all the history of the world, with as much evidence as the resurrection of Jesus. How important is it? In Romans 10 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here's the inference and implication of that verse. If you don't believe he's alive, you can't be saved. If you don't believe that Jesus is alive from the dead, he cannot save you. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe that Jesus is alive? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the only means of salvation? You see, if you're going to receive him as your Savior, if you're going to turn your life over to him, you have to. You have to believe that he is alive. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning that the stone was rolled away so that we could see that the tomb is empty. We thank you for the amazing testimony of the grave clothes. We thank you that the Apostle John, looking at the grave clothes, believed. Thank you that today, that this morning, we can proclaim and sing and believe that Jesus is alive. In his name we pray. Amen.